0: beloved congregation of the lord jesus christ everyone on earth has an innate sense of justice Every, everyone knows that some things are right and some things are wrong and we all know that certain deeds deserve to be punished so everyone on earth they everyone on earth cares about justice on some level. You can see many examples of that in our culture as well. Uh, Take, for example, the recent trial of Kyle Rittenhouse in the United States. Uh, Kyle, young man, had shot and killed two men, wounded another one during riots in Kenosha, Washington, or sorry, Wisconsin. The eyes of the entire U.S. were glued on this court case. Some wanted Kyle behind bars, claiming he was guilty of murder. Others wanted him acquitted, claiming he was only defending himself. Now, Rittenhouse was ultimately acquitted of his charges, but not, that's not the main point I'm making here. The point is that this event shows people care deeply about justice. After all, let's not forget why the riots in Kenosha happened in the first place. People rioted in response to the shooting of Jacob Blake by a police officer. Some viewed the shooting as an unjust act of racism, and so they rioted in the city. So we can see also from all this, our sense of justice is not perfect by any means. But one thing is for sure, we all have a sense of justice. And here I want to ask, why do we have this? Where did people get this sense of justice from? Well, it certainly did not come from any sort of evolutionary process. It just cannot be. No, we have this sense of justice because we were made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God gives us a sense of justice because God is a God of justice. He is a God of justice. Although our sense of justice has been corrupted by the fall into sin, it's still there. But God is free from all sin, not even a hint of sin in His being. And so His judgments are perfect. They are never unjust. And that's what we need to see this afternoon. God is a just God. And so, the judge of all the earth will do what is right. He desires for justice to be done. He will make sure that it is done in this world. But here's another thing we need to grapple with this afternoon. And that's this. God's justice requires that sin is punished. His justice requires that sin cannot go unpunished. And so, He will punish sin in this world. And we'll see from Scripture that God's justice requires that sinners be punished with an everlasting punishment. And that's essentially the sermon theme for this afternoon. We have three points. First of all, God's justice, and then God's punishment, and finally, God's salvation. So, beloved, sin has turned the world upside down. God created such a beautiful creation. Humans were the pinnacle of that creation, but sin absolutely destroyed all of that. We ruin creation by our sin, and sin-hungry humans have turn themselves into the refuse of the world. As I said, we were created in God's own image. We were made in God's image to reflect His, His glory, to mirror His goodness and His righteousness. We were created in God's image to praise God like no other creature on this earth can. We were made in His image to serve the good of the world like no other creature on the earth can. But sin has turned everything upside down and backwards. Instead of following God and loving righteousness, sinful humans now follow Satan and love sin and evil desires. How upside down is that? That's why when you look at this world, you see so many things that are, are just backwards. I think, for example, of what I mentioned in the intro- introduction, those people rioting to protest injustice. It doesn't make any sense. How is looting and destroying in response to injustice a rational response? Think also of the crazy ideas being spouted off today about gender and the like. Human sin has turned things upside down. those are easy examples to point out, but we should not gloss over our own lives, our own hearts, our own temptations. We were made to love our neighbors as ourselves, as we love ourselves. But our hearts are inherently selfish. We were made to glorify God, but... Our sinful hearts are so often bent on glorifying ourselves instead of God. All of us here have fallen short of the glory of God. Here's what we must understand. God is not going to let things go on like this in His creation. He will not. God is going to set things right in the world again. He, His justice requires that sinners who have ruined His creation be punished. He will make sure that justice gets done. One day, everyone, including you, including me, we're going to have to come before the judge of all the earth, the God who made all things. One day, everyone, including me, including you, will have to give an account of everything we have ever done. Give an account for all of our thoughts, all of our desires, all of our words, all of our deeds. And at that time, God will also dispense justice when people come before His throne. And he will give everlasting punishment on sinners now we might wonder about god's justice at times you know is god's punishment on sinners really just i can't keep my all my thoughts and desires perfect how can god hold me to that standard that's the sort of thing we see in question answer nine but does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? And the answer is no, for God so created man that he could do it, but man at the instigation of the devil, in deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. You know, God made us in his own image so that we could reflect his righteousness, but we threw it away as Lord's Day 4 says we, we robbed ourselves of these gifts. Interesting language, right? Robbed ourselves. You know, in our sin, humans were like a man who, who gambles away his entire life savings. He's essentially robbed himself of all of his money. But just because a man has robbed himself, that doesn't mean he's off the hook for his bills that he has to pay. He still needs to pay them. He can't say, well, I got rid of all my money at the casino. I don't have any money. I can't pay you anymore. No, he needs to pay, and if he can't pay his electricity bill, eventually he'll end up with his electricity cut off to his house. If he can't pay his rent, eventually he'll be out on the street. It's the same thing with our sin and God's law. We robbed ourselves of our holy nature. It doesn't mean we're off the hook when it comes to God's standards. Besides, it's not just a matter of humans not being able to perform God's law. It's fundamentally a matter of humans not wanting to perform God's law. Fundamentally, humans want to do their own thing. And fallen humans want to sin. God is not unjust for requiring humans to perform his law. The problem is in God. The problem is in us and in our hearts. That's where the problem lies. You see, we might question God's justice at times, but it's also because we've corrupted the perfect sense of justice God originally gave us. Right? Our, our, our understanding of right and wrong has been corrupted by sin. And so who are we to question God's righteousness when we are far from righteous ourselves? That brings us to our second point. So, through His just judgments, God is going to set things right in the world again. The Bible shows us one way God will dispense justice. It's it's through His appointed King. See, in the time of uh, the Bible, the King was also the judge. And in the Old Testament, the King was meant to be God's uh, agent of righteousness and justice in Israel. The kings were meant to study God's law every day so that they could discern right and wrong. That way they could make righteous judgments. I think of Solomon also. Right? Solomon asked for wisdom from God so that he could discern good from evil. It was the king's job to dispense justice. And the king, like Adam at creation, was meant to reflect God's righteousness and justice on earth. That was part of his kingly role. And this is still God's design for kings and rulers in this world. They are meant to be God's tools of justice in the world. Now, of course, earthly rulers are far from perfect in this. But there is one king who is perfect, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. As the Spirit declared through Paul in Acts 17, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Now this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. And when Christ the King returns again, he's going to again set things right in the world. One way he's going to do that, is Scripture says clearly shows it's by punishing the wicked. It's going to remove sinners from the earth. No longer will sinners corrupt the earth by their deeds. No longer will sinners bring fear and destruction. Instead of receiving all the good things they've received from God throughout their lives, they will receive the curse. You can read about Christ's judgment Of the world in places like Matthew 25, Jesus describes how he will separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep will be placed on his right, the goats on his left. He will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That will happen on the judgment day through Christ our King. And that's why also question answer 10 says what it does. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not. God is terribly displeased with our original sin as well as our actual sins. Therefore, he will punish them by a just judgment both now and eternally as he has declared, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Right? cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them and that would that is us by nature and the passages of scripture we read from earlier they're equally clear think of psalm 21 your hand will find out all your enemies your right hand will find out all those who hate you you will make them as a blazing oven when you appear the lord will swallow them up In his wrath, and fire will consume them. Or think too of that that passage from the Gospel of Mark. There we read about the crucifixion of Christ. Yes, it's a passage about Christ's saving work, but it also gives us one of the clearest pictures of God's justice. Remember, Christ was suffering because of sin. And so the whole scene in Mark 15, it shows so clearly God's just judgment against sin. It shows us what our sins deserve. And look at what happened to Christ. Pilate first had Jesus scourged. When the Romans scourged someone, they used a special type of whip. The whip had multiple ends on it coming out of the same handle. And essentially, it was multiple whips combined into one. Embedded into the whips were pieces of bone and metal. And then they repeatedly hit someone with that whip. It was meant to, to rip and to tear. And then Jesus was delivered into the hands of the Roman soldiers... They twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on Christ. They struck his head again and again. After they mocked him and beat him, they led him away to crucify him. Then they nailed him to the cross, driving nails through his feet, through his hands. Then they set his cross upright, and there Christ suffered to death in agony. And what's worse... During those hours on the cross, especially in those hours of darkness, Christ was forsaken by God. God withdrew all his goodness from Jesus as he hung from the cross. So look at this scene from Mark 15. Look at what Christ went through. And understand, this is God's justice against sin, against sinners who've broken his law, who've rebelled against him. And that's one thing central to the cross. If you want to know what God thinks about sin, if you want to know something about his punishment on sinners, look at the suffering and death of Christ. And that is his perfect justice. It's what my sins deserve. It's what your sins deserve. You know, even if I were the only sinner on earth or you were the only sinner on earth, Christ would still need to go through this punishment to save you or me. Even if we were the only ones. Right? Your sin... As an individual, my sin as an individual was enough for Christ to endure this agony. It's God's righteous punishment. And when we understand that, then we understand that God doesn't fool around when it comes to sin. This question and answer 11 puts it But is God not also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. And you know what? It's not pleasant to hear about this, right? It's not nice to hear about hell. But it's no use to stick our heads in the sand, Act like it's not real, because it is real. And we can't imagine hell away or explain it away or cut it out of our Bible. that won't make it go away. No. And so we all need to reckon with this reality in our, in our own lives, in our own hearts. May we all see the need also then to look for the only Savior, to find salvation in Him. May we all listen closely to the message of salvation, embrace the only Savior, Jesus Christ. That brings us to our last point. So, beloved, our sin has turned the world upside down. And God, through His just punishment on sinners, will set things right again. But the problem, of course, is that we are all sinners, all of us sitting here. And so, if God were to bring His justice down upon us, we would all be doomed to this everlasting punishment. And having seen God's justice, we might wonder, well, how could we possibly be saved then? How is it possible? How can God be merciful to sinners and not deny his justice? And here again is where we need to fix our eyes on the cross. You see, in the cross of Christ, the world, again, it seemed to be Turn upside down again. What do I mean by that? Well, think of what we read from Psalm 21. When we read Psalm 21, maybe you notice that uh, there is there's two halves to the psalm. Right, the first half and the second half are completely different. It consists of two halves. So the first half describes the beautiful relationship between the Lord. And his anointed king. Listen to what it says. The king rejoices in the Lord's strength. God gives this king his heart's desire. He sets a crown of finest gold on his head, he gives him length of days. God blesses him with splendor and majesty, and through the steadfast love of the Lord, the king will not be moved. What a relationship described there. What a beautiful, loving, and close relationship between the Lord and his anointed king. But notice again, the second half is completely different. The second half describes God's just wrath against the wicked. Listen to what it says. God searches out the wicked. He makes them a blazing oven when he appears. He swallows them up in his wrath. Fire from God will consume them. Now, what a picture of judgment. God's just punishment. See, the contrast is between the two halves as night and day. And if there's anything clear from this psalm, the king described in the first half is most definitely not the object of God's holy wrath as described in the second half. How could he be given this beautiful description of his relationship to God? That would just be backwards, upside down. But the shocking thing is, this is the very thing that happened in the cross of Christ. See, Christ ultimately is this king described in Psalm 21, he's God's beloved son. The closest relationship with God than, than anyone else. But in his crucifixion, Christ received the wrath of God described in the second half of the psalm. It's completely backwards of what Christ deserved. You know, God acted towards Christ as if He were his enemy. This king, Jesus, did not receive the favor of God. He did not receive the blessing and love of God on the cross. Instead, he received punishment and wrath. He did not receive a crown of gold. Instead, he was handed a crown of thorns, taking the curse upon himself. Right? The Davidic king, the righteous king, the glorious king, received the curse of God. Instead of enjoying that sweet fellowship with God, he called out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cross of Christ seems to have turned everything upside down and backwards. The righteous one... Is receiving the curse. Seems so unjust. Christ should be the last person to receive this punishment, but it's what needed to happen for God to save me, to save you. And Christ willingly did this for us because of his love for us. See, God's justice, His just wrath was put on Christ, so God's mercy and grace could be put on us. The grace of God both turns the world upside down and makes it right again. It turns the world upside down because sinners who believe in Jesus Christ are not punished like they deserve. We don't receive it ourselves. Christ took it in our place. But it's the wonderful gift of God. And God's grace makes things right again because God renews this world through his grace in Jesus Christ. He recreates us into the people we were always meant to be. The only thing left to say is that we must take care. Take care to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, God's wrath against sin is real. It is real. It's not something we can ignore. And the truth is, many people in this world are going to end up in hell. So take care that you don't ignore the message of salvation. The only way to escape God's punishment is through the cross of Christ. It's the only way. He's the righteous king who deserved God's blessing, but our loving king took God's wrath for sinners. In Christ, there is salvation, but apart from him, there is no hope. In Christ, there is salvation. Apart from him, there is no hope. And listen to how this affected the urgency of Paul's message to sinners Spirit writes through Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Right? When you understand God's just punishment, you try to persuade them to believe in Christ. This is what he says later in 2 Corinthians 5, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, working together with him then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain behold now is a favorable time behold now is the day of salvation amen Let us now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing together from Psalm 22. This is a psalm that also speaks of the sufferings of Christ on our behalf. Psalm 22, stanzas 1, 6, and 10.